You're listening to Kevin Stock Radio. I thought we'd start this off with a text that text message I just got, or not a text, an Instagram message I just got this morning. And it, I thought it might be a good place for us to dive off into because I kind of want to talk about carbs because you have done, I mean, you're known for keto, you've done carnivore, and you've used some carbs, and you carry an absolute ridiculous amount of muscle. Uh, so I kind of want to dive into that area, if that sounds good. Oh, dude, I love it. Yeah, I love these, these DMs because... A lot of people are asking questions because they're they're starting to warm up to the idea that maybe carbs could could help them in certain situations. So I'm I'm happy to provide them with information, and I'd love to for us to get into this whatever this message was about. Awesome. So I got this message, and it kind of stumped me because he said, "Hey, Kev, you know I've been uh, carnivore for two years, and I started implementing or you know testing in some carbs, and I, now I have more muscle fullness." Uh, is there a way to achieve this without carbs? And when I got the message, I responded. I was like, because I was a little bit confused uh, because to me, it doesn't make sense. And, you know, <laughs> because I, I, I would think he should be full. His muscle glycogen should be full from, from carnivore. Initially, like I know I was flat uh, for probably eight to 12 weeks. I don't remember exactly. But after that, I have... Uh, you know, my muscle glycogen replenished. I have since just recently, uh, I'm not going to dive and bore you with this, but I've experimented with some carbs and I haven't noticed any increase in muscle glycogen. And I figured, you know, it's probably just because, you know, my body's adapted uh, to using protein and fat to keep muscle glycogen full. What would you say? Is it, oh, let me, let me, uh, let me uh, tell you the caveat too. Uh, actually, tell me your thoughts on this, Danny, and then I'll tell you the next part of the message. Uh, I, yeah, I'm, I'm in complete agreement with you, man. And I actually went through the same thing. It lasted about three months where I felt like just wiry. And like, at first yeah. I was like, Oh, this is cool. I'm like ripped, you know, like, yeah. but I'm like, wait a second. I don't see any vessels. I'm like, none of the vasculature was like popping out like it was before. Right. Um, and then like at three months I got it back and you know, I, I noticed like maybe six months into keto, this is all the way back in 2016, 2017, where I was like, I'm looking at pictures of myself before keto, after keto, and there's no, there's no difference. Yeah. Like, you know, where's this muscle loss that people talk about? Yeah. I see your post today highlighted that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I mean, and that one, it's funny because I was actually looking for an old post for something else. And then I saw, I posted kind of this similar post, um, maybe like five, six months ago. And, um, and so I was like, you know what? I've, I've gotten a few more followers. This, this will be beneficial for people to see. And of course the feedback has been awesome because so many other people have been like, yeah, man, same thing for me. Um, I would say the only, the only advantage having carbs would, would give you as far as fullness goes would be maybe for a photo shoot or like a, you know, like a, like a bodybuilding show, like maybe, Maybe like you could, you know, kind of super, um, what's the word? Like, uh, just so, yeah, clean. that. So yeah, glycogen super compensation that I had said the exact same thing. And usually mere mortals, not like you, uh, like <laughs> we're, we're not going to see much glycogen super compensation just cause you know, most people don't carry that much muscle mass. 
Danny, you are an exception, obviously. So you probably you might see some collected super compensation, but I think most people like if if it is such a thing, it's it's going to be hardly noticeable. I would think. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And if it is noticeable, I would really start to you know ask that person to really really examine what they're thinking and 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 try to rule out a placebo effect. You know. <laughs> so that's so part two to this. So I asked. I'm like <laughs> I'm like this doesn't make sense. You've been carving for two years and you're feeling flat. Like, uh, and he's like, well, during that time I've been eating carbs on the weekends, and oh, so yeah. so that brings me to your thought your thoughts around this where. Look, even if he's, you know, no carb five days a week and then two days a week he's eating carbs, do you think that can prevent him from, I'll just call it fully adapting where his muscle needs carbs in order to stay full? He never actually gets transitioned appropriately. Well, I, I would say that, that it's definitely likely, but the, the only thing that, that kind of goes against it, first of all, is the fact that it's been so long. Yeah. But that just, you know, it's been a long time, but at the same time, what do those days look like? I mean, yeah. are we talking about, you know, an extra meal, um, you know, at the end of the day with, you know, some sweet potatoes, or are we talking about, An all you know, out. Car yeah, carbs and fat, which most people do. I mean, I don't recommend for a lot of people, I've been trying to make this, this point, like you're, you're not training hard enough to, 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 to get carbs. I'm sorry. Like, I don't know. I don't have any other way to say it. Like, like, are you really training hard enough to where carbs would make a difference? And the best way to test that, is to actually have carbs and like when i have carbs like pre-workout on specific types of workouts i feel a difference but i've spoken to other people that have done that and they're like i don't really feel a difference and mm -hmm. i'm like well it's probably the type of training you're doing nothing wrong with that yeah. not saying like you got to be like this crazy alpha monster but um you probably don't need them but yeah. I, I would love to know what what type of what those meals were for yeah. i mean if it's for if it's for like like mental purposes, you know, I know that Chris Bell's big on that. And, and I love Chris's message. He's very real with everything he says. And, um, and Will Schufelt too, you know, he's, he's, yep. he's done a lot of those, those, um, cheat things. Like actually for him, it was cheats, you know, like, right. like straight cheats. And for me, I can't do a cheat. You know, I just can't because I'm just, I'm so over the top with everything that I do that, <laughs> It's, it's different than the guy that says, oh, I can't have a sweet potato because I'm going to go off the rails. I think that's very unlikely. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, when I go cheat, you're telling me no rules? Oh, dude, forget it. <laughs> Watch out. Yeah. yeah. So are they doing these cheats? I'll just call them. Uh, are they doing it for lifestyle purposes, like to make for sociability, things like that? Or are they doing them for some uh, training purposes? No. I, I mean, I think that they both... I remember them in the first couple of episodes of the, of the podcast, they were yeah. talking about all of the, you know, the seventies, uh, golden era, uh, bodybuilders who basically ate zero carb most of the week. And then they mm -hmm. would cheat on the weekends. But yeah. I mean, those guys were eating potatoes and, and meat and stuff. And so I think maybe that had an influence, but, um, I know will, and I know Chris both have said like that this is for sanity, you know, just, just give yourself a break from the regimented lifestyle um, and I don't, I don't think either of them, I think both of them have walked away from it. You know, I know Will for sure has, and I'm pretty sure Chris has too. That's, that's super interesting. So I, so Danny, to fill you and I've been working on this article, carnivore and carbs for a long time. And one of the reasons I want to talk with you so I can embed this in, in the article. Uh, but one of the things I've written about is this whole idea for some people, 
100% is easier than 98%. Meaning like, look, oh, yeah. I, need to, I need to just eat meat and not have the temptation of, you know, a cheat day or a cheat meal or something like that. Because then it turns into something way worse. Uh, yeah. On the flip side, there's some people that say, look, I can stay with the diet 98% of the time, but I need to have, whether it's like the weekend chocolate or the weekend wine or whatever it might be, uh, and they can eat you know, very well 98% of the time, but they need that 2%. And so part of it is just, I'm like, a lot of people just need to know themselves. And it comes down to a lot of it has to do with like personality, lifestyle, things like that uh, to make a diet work for you. Oh yeah, man. And like, and also knowing that I think I'm, I'm much more comfortable with someone coming from a bodybuilding background that may have done a regime of eating that wasn't low carb before. I'm way yeah. more comfortable with, with telling them, yeah, try a carb up because they're, they're already aware of the type of self-control and, and discipline it's going to take um, just from eating carbs. You I have to be very careful because I'm so used to eating really high fat and like on that carb day, I got to really make sure my fat stays low because Mm -hmm. you you were just mentioning, uh, you're better with like a bodybuilder doing a carb day because they know, uh, kind of the, what comes with that. And then it started cutting out. Yeah. So I was just saying that, you know, on a, on a, for a, a person who's coming from a higher carb diet, they're, they're aware and they're, they have the habits of having that discipline, you know, yeah. when it comes to, to eating carbs. But like, you know, someone, even myself, like when I have a carb update, I have to be very, very careful with the fat. I got to make sure that my fat doesn't creep up. And especially towards the end of the night, like I got to make sure I shut down the shop and I'm not eating anything. Like I have to be very regimented. Whereas when I'm nowadays not even tracking, which is freaking amazing, yeah. on, a, on a regular day, I can just say, I'm really hungry. I'm going to have, you know, like a pound, a pound and a half of meat. And, uh, and the next time I'm hungry, I'm going to eat. Right. But that's another consideration that people need to definitely have when it comes to, uh, you know, including carbs. Because including carbs, here's the thing, it complicates things. It really that's complicates things. That is exactly, you know, one of the things I've touched on. Uh, and you, you've mentioned like three amazing, massive take-home points there that uh, I want to highlight. One is, it, it goes back to kind of the addiction thing where yeah. carbs are addicting. And if you haven't broken that addiction or you don't have that good relationship with food, reintroduction of carbs or even a little bit of carbs can make you go off the rails. Uh, oh, yeah. And so I think... What are, what are your thoughts on that, first of all? Um, I think it's a very real thing. I think, like, uh, especially at the beginning when I, when I first started, this was a long process for me. If, if you look back, I, I tried it last year, like 2018 summer, and I was, at that time, the most I could be comfortable with was a post-workout carb meal yeah. um, of 50 grams. And, you know, that's as, that's as far as I was going to go. And I did that and I actually had terrible cravings like the rest yeah. of the day. And part of it was probably due to a, a slight glucose intolerance, you know, where my body wasn't, insulin wasn't doing its job on driving blood sugar down. And then maybe my, I could tell for sure that my blood sugar was way less controlled. Mm-hmm. And um, the same thing happened this year when I took it a step further, like in February. And I did this little paleo experiment where 
three days of the week, I was eating um, 150 grams of carbs. Yep. And I was taking those days as, you know, jujitsu plus lifting days. So the, like the activity levels were there. But as, as I kind of learned a little bit more about my body, and I think I, I got that metabolic flexibility back in the other direction to where I could use carbohydrates more efficiently. I, I just mentioned this the other day, man, it was really interesting to see that my blood sugars, although maybe the first week were all over the place, it looked like I lost my blood sugar control. Yep. After about a week and a half, not only did I regain that, but my baselines were now lower. Like my fasted baselines were <laughs> now in yeah. the 60s and 70s, lower than before. So like I see that for me as, you know what, every now and then when I feel like it, let me, let me have some carbs like in a, in a perfectly timed way. Right. And then the last thing was this last experiment that I did. It was like maybe like two months of, of a weekly carb up. Yep. Uh, you know, standard, you know, TKD. And, um, and that was really good. But I'll say this, every single week, um, there was like this tiny little increase in, in inflammation that crept up every single week, just a little bit, like it would never come back down. Yeah. And although I was powering through workouts, and but I started to feel the aches and pains again, and I'm sure Lane Norton's listening to this. Well, he'll never listen to this, but Lane Norton will say, oh, you're full of crap. Where? Well, yeah. I know my body, man. I, I'm very, yeah. you know, in tune with my body. And, and, and I'm just now recovering. Like just now my left shoulder's starting to feel normal again. And so like there's always a balancing act and, and there's always a price to pay for the choices we make, you know? Yeah, I, and there's so many things there. Uh, and so one of the things that I did. So back in the day when I did much more bodybuilding focus, especially like physique prep stuff, you know, I did carb cycling and I know on every fourth day or whatever I was doing at that time, when the carbs were coming, my appetite would go through the roof. Like I would want to eat the house. Uh, and I recently did this experiment after, you know, two and a half years of zero carbs, zero plants, not, not a cheat. Uh, I decided I was going to test in some carbs to see what was going to happen. And I decided to test with, you know, a jar of organic honey. And I thought for sure, you know, I was going to have, <laughs> I thought I was going to have a couple tablespoons and I was going to be like, oh my God, I need to eat this whole thing. Uh, but I, I, the way I structured it, I, you know, I ate the jar over four days. I had zero increases in appetite. Uh, and one of the things I, I think, it, I think part of it was the addiction to, that was largely slayed where I could have some, <laughs> but I think if I continued down that path with honey, that addiction would, would come around the corner. I just have no idea how soon it would come back. Dude, it, it, I, I totally agree. I, I found myself towards the end of that regimented carb up that, that, that people for some reason feel they need every single week. Um, towards the end, I felt myself wanting a carb up another day. Yeah. You know, like, should I eat carbs today too? Maybe yeah. that'd be good. Exactly. You know? <laughs> slippery slope. Super slippery slope. And, you know, like, I, I, now it just goes in line with everything else that I'm doing. I'm really trying to be more intuitive. And Maura's like, right now, she's like, who are you? Yeah. She's like, I can't believe you. I thought for sure you were going to be 95 years old, you know, <laughs> weighing your food. <laughs> and, and it hasn't been the case. And, and I'll tell you, like, with the honey, for example, um, obviously the first time I tried honey in forever, I was like, Oh, this is delicious. But, 
but like with something else. If I have honey by itself, it is so sweet, bro. It makes my, my mouth pucker. Like, yep. and I, I had the first time, uh, I had carbs in like the past three weeks was, um, Monday of this week because I wanted to do, um, Mondays and Wednesdays lifting in the afternoon. And so all I did was half a tablespoon of honey, but I waited until I was warmed up to have the honey. So I wanted, I wanted my, my blood to be flowing. I wanted this yeah. to be a true Perry workout, uh, carb. And that worked out amazing. And that's literally 8.5 grams of sugar right. that by the time I was done, what that, that sugar was completely cleared. Right. Right. So Danny, what do you think? If someone, let's say someone was carnivore for a year, they're fully adapted and they want to try having carbs for, let's just say bodybuilding performance reasons, what kind of speculative amounts of carbs and how often do you think someone could include and maintain the, I'll call it metabolic flexibility to keep their muscle glycogen full in the absence of carbs as well? Would like one small carb meal a week and they would still be very adapted or, 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 or do you have any like guidelines or predictions of what a normal person could expect in that, in that scenario? Well, I, I think that, um, it all depends. Like for me, I think the number one reason to include carbs is for, is for training. Yeah. So, so I don't think that we need to be worrying about refilling our glycogen stores or any crap like that. Like that, that to me, maybe there's something to be said about really, really every now and then trying to get that super compensation or, or aiming for it. But like you said, what, what are the odds of it really happening and what are exactly. the lasting benefits? Like, is exactly. it something that that's going to go beyond, you know, one day where you're, you're just going to clear it going back to when your insulin drops again. And, um, so I think that the best, the smartest thing to do would be literally to start with something as simple like uh, that honey, like half a tablespoon of honey, that's 8.5 grams of sugar and try it on a day where you really want to do this, this more traditional type of bodybuilding training. So right. like what me and Ben talk about with, with carbs is the main reason is because of the potential downstream effects, like with cortisol that that'll happen over time if you're eating zero carb or keto and you're training like a sugar burner, right. You know, like I, I, I see really no, no viable solution, uh, to bring down cortisol quickly, like a, a shortcut better than just taking in some carbs either for the workout that, that will, you know, your body's asking for sugar. You got the sugar. You're not going to risk, you know, using lean tissue. Yeah. Um, and, and then, you know, if you want to do the carb up day, I, I don't think the carb up day is even necessary. But if if you want to do it, then I could understand if you really want to bulk and you want to take advantage of every single possible hormonal signaling pathway that you can that rely on. It, then that that makes sense. But maybe do it. Maybe do it like in. in yeah like I, um, for example big in the last couple of years right like with all the the research coming out it seems like it's the most viable long-term way to to cut calories without uh damaging your metabolism or right. you know screwing up your leptin and your ghrelin 
Yep. And so I think the, be- the the same thing could be said for like the opposite where you, you go for, uh, you know, one or two weeks with a weekly carb up and then you take a break. Um, that, that makes sense to me, but yeah. I'm, I, I, it's so hard for me because I'm always, I'm so selfish. I'm, I'm thinking of myself. I'm like, Oh, I, I would never, I don't think I need that. Right. Exactly. But yeah, I mean, you bring up cool, good points. There's one thing I want to ask you about as far as you're mentioning, uh, before workout carbs, peri, peri workout carbs, you know, during the workout, uh, people ask me, I, I always say post-workout carbs, usually kind of for the same reasoning that you just gave. I'm like, look, that's it. If you really want to con- control your cortisol, you know, some carbs are going to spike your insulin. Insulin is going to control the cortisol. Uh, and that's why I would say most people, I would, I would gear towards post-workout as well as you, your body will have a little bit better enhanced ability to work with those carbs uh, via, you know, muscle uptake. Uh, in that, yeah, in that window, yeah. So... Do you, is there a reason why you aim for pre-workout? Well, for me, I'd rather do pre-workout because if I do post-workout, then I run, at least me personally, I run into the problem uh, that I ran into last year. And if I do post-workout, then I'm thinking to myself, then I'm probably going to need another couple of meals with carbs in them. Not as much, but, you know, maybe like what I found this year was I did, you know, pre-workout honey and I was doing the super starch, which to this day, I love the super starch. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I understand people's reservations with, you know, a grain. Um, but you know, Dr. Volick is actually working with the information that I gave him to, to possibly do a hypothesis paper on, on super starch for, you know, bodybuilding type athletes and you know what that means for bodybuilders who want to be ketogenic or even like a carb based athlete who will, if you replace a lot of those carbs with super starch, you'll, you'll get a lot of the body comp benefits. Yeah. Like I saw the, the Arkansas football team, their strength coach is a young guy. He's super smart. And he took pictures of them like freshman year and sophomore year, you know, after a year of using a ton of super starch. And it looks like bodybuilding transformation picks. Like these guys yeah. are shredded. Um, so if I do post-workout carbs, then I know, at least for me, that I'm going to have two more meals with about 30 carbs in each of them for the rest of the day so that I, I just feel more stable blood sugar levels and it, it really does help keep my hunger in check. And I'm, I'm tapping into satiety in a whole different way that day because I'm, I'm using volume where usually I use this really dense food that, that is going to trigger satiety in different ways. But yep. it's kind of refreshing to be like, eat like, a bunch of sushi or a bunch of um, jasmine rice that I've cooked and cooled and be like, wow, I'm really full. Like I feel my stomach really stretched. And I, I barely get that even when I eat like two pounds of meat, like it's really not that much as far as like what it's doing in my stomach. You know, it's not triggering that, that mechanical uh, mechanism that that's telling my body, Oh, you're full because your stomach's full. Yeah. Yep. And so that's an interesting thing you mentioned because you're, you, you tend to work out in the morning. Is that right? Yeah, most days I do, but now I'm, I'm adding in uh, 4 PM lifts on Mondays and Wednesdays. And then Friday, since it's just like a free day for me anyways, I'll, I'll lift in whatever time, but because I'm training with a black belt in the morning and they're basically like one-on-one lessons because you know, I'm helping him with his diet and training and he's helping mm-hmm. me with jujitsu. Yeah. Uh, I can't lift in the morning. Um, and I don't, I'm not in the mood for, for really early morning lifts because I also do my, my son's morning routine with him. So 
it works out perfectly for me to to do 8 a.m. jujitsu and, and train at four. But what, mm. were, what were you getting at with the, uh, the morning training? Well, for me, my point of view is if I'm going to have, if I'm going to have post-workout carbs, uh, I want them, <laughs> ideally, I want them more in the evening so I can still have my fat and protein and that I function best on throughout the day so that I'm not dealing oh, yeah. with, with blood sugar issues, hunger issues throughout the day. But I typically train late afternoon. And so if I was going to have post-work, if I was going to have carbs, it would be post-workout and it would be in the evening. Uh, but if I was training in the morning, I, I you know, I, I would be hesitant to add in carbs just because of how it would affect the rest of my day. Yeah, I think, I think your situation is the ideal one. Um, but it's like if, if you're coming from a situation where you've been your habits have been over the past, let's say four years to train in the morning. Like I, I switched to the morning. Actually it's been, oh, I can't believe it's been six years because in 2013, when I was still a medical device rep, I started powerlifting and yeah. uh, I, I started training with a guy and he was kind of like my coach. So he had to train at five or five thirty, mm. and powerlifters have no sense of time or <laughs> like, especially this guy, this guy's a geared lifter. So it's like, he's used to being in the gym for four hours when he trains. Yeah. And so it was literally like a week or two of me training with him that my wife was like, you need to fix this. This needs to change. You're not going to go spend the day in the OR and come home and be like, peace. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, so I, I switched to the morning at that point, but I, I do think that your way would be best because if I did, if I did it the other way, then I'd be like, okay, what are the benefits of these carbs really? Like possibly at night, but has cortisol already gotten to that point where it's, it's, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't cut off the, the, that little cortisol spike. It's so convenient to have it post-workout, you know? Right. Right. And then I'm like, am I going to add some leucine post-workout? Again, complicating things. Exactly. Exactly. And, and there's definitely cons to training later in the evening too, uh, or late, later in the afternoon. It can affect sleep and things like that. It doesn't affect my sleep, but I know some people, if they train, you know, a little bit later in the afternoon, they have a harder time going to sleep. And so if you start messing with your sleep, you know, the cons of that could be far outweigh, you know, the benefit of getting that, uh, an evening training versus uh, a morning training session. Yeah. And I was, I was, man, I was so hoping that adding carbs at night or, or, or on my carb day would, would do anything to my, my deep sleep numbers, my aura ring numbers. And because I had a friend who, who started playing around with eating carbs at night yep. Yep. and it tanked his numbers. It actually, he got really bad sleep numbers. His HRV went down. And so like, I know that, you know, if you're in a stressed if it's a cortisol-driven issue, yep. then maybe the, maybe the carbs do help with HRV and everything. But I haven't found anything better than cutting off food two hours before bed or more for like improving my deep sleep, for example. Awesome. So, th and this is actually, I had in my notes to talk to you about sleep because I know you've been tracking your sleep for quite some time and you had some struggles getting the sleep that you want. Uh, and one of the things I want to talk about was carbs and sleep because... There is conflicting things. If people just uh, are not used to a carnivore diet or a low-carb diet and they go on one, very common sleep gets disturbed initially because they do have higher levels of cortisol during adaptation and it, and it impacts their sleep. Uh, I've seen that with a lot, a lot of people. 
However, I also seen like you're mentioning someone that, in, uh, you know, includes carbs in the evening, which hurts sleep because carbs can increase your body temperature. And, you know, one of the key things in order to even initiate sleep is you have to have a drop in your core body temperature. So, uh, interesting that you find the most helpful thing is no food two hours before bed. Anything else? Um, let's see. No food two hours before bed. Definitely the screens. Like if yeah. I have to do yep. an Instagram live like at 7 or 8 p.m. Because yep. I usually put my phone down at 7 p.m. And it's the best feeling. I was, I was just, you know, visiting with my family. And my dad has, you know, sleep issues. And he's on anxiolytics. And I'm like been trying to tell him to get off of that. Uh, due to just, number one, the Alzheimer implications and dementia. Yeah. Yeah. And number two, the, the extreme, extreme dependency that people form. Mm -hmm. um, and, and my mom's like, he's on his phone until the minute he goes to bed. <laughs> yeah. You know, and my dad's like, well, I'm, I'm watching my YouTube videos. Like he watches like uh, these YouTube channels where people um, like they basically have like live feeds where they're, they're on their boats and they're like sailing the world. Yeah. And for him, that's like, he lives vicariously. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, well at least get some blue, blue light blocking glasses. And he, he does have those, but cool. in his case, dude, like I know he's watching politics stuff. Like, I don't know what's wrong with him. Like, I'm like, why do you watch this stuff? Like, yeah. I know that he's still doing that. Like he's watching all his Fox news crap and like, yeah, the you last know, thing you want is a real emotional response to something when you're trying to, you know, go to sleep and relax. Yeah, but he doesn't, he, he's like, I think a lot of Americans do this. Like, they're like, you know what? I'm going to continue living my lifestyle. What can I add on top to right. fix it? Okay, right. yeah, exactly. some clonazepam and some freaking sleep, you know, pills. Exactly, exactly. Uh, I, I posted something about that recently. It was actually one of the more popular things that I posted, which I thought was going to be unpopular uh, because I was like, I think like the biggest biohack is, you know, not seeing all these things that you can add to hack all these oh, various things so much. Yes. versus like, look, like, look, you need to, it's more of a game of subtraction than addition. And if you like get back, you know, some perspective on that, I think those are the biggest biohacks. Just stop, stop adding all these things to try and fix things get at the core problem. <laughs> yeah. And, and like, I think people should be aware of like how liberating that could be. Like, yeah. you know, you, you, for me, just not tracking, for example, I had no idea. Like the first week I did, I stopped tracking, like was the most productive week I had in forever. Yeah. And, and I was like, what was I really doing? I mean, I, I must've been mulling it over so much and I must've been like, well, I got to zero these things out. I got to, and, and then, it just doesn't make any sense too, because you know, you look at a package of meat from one company and a package of meat from another company, and they both have the same exact macros for the, you know, for, for the amount of meat, how could that possibly be number one? Yep. You know? And so like, it's all, a, it's all a lie. Like it's, you don't have the control that you think you have. And so it, you might as well just let go. Yep. I, I saw when you posted that and I was like, I, I knew you, I knew you were going to like it because I did something similar. I've been like a tracking nut for a long time and I stopped, I stopped a long time ago. Uh, partly the thing is like, like Danny, you've got a ton of experience. A lot of this is second nature, subconscious. Yeah, you don't, know, you don't even know. think about things. You like, you, you know, serving sizes, you don't need to weigh it. Like you, you know. Uh, and the other thing is like, even it, the other thing is like, you're just mentioning, you know what you don't know. It's like, I can't account for the amount of fat that rendered out when I was cooking that meat. Like 
there, it's yep. impossible for me to know exactly. And so just the amount of like air that there is anyways, I'm like, look, after a while you get in, you, you know, you'll get an intuitive sense of eating and it's probably better than any tracker you can, you can have anyways. So, uh, yeah, I, I bet you're not, I bet you're not going back to the tracking anytime soon. No, man. I start to think like, I start to think, Oh, what if I want to cut? And I'm like, no, <laughs> I, I like maybe, maybe if I really wanted to cut, but if I wanted to cut, like there's so many other ways that I can, that I can get more, you know, lean without having to track, yep. at least for me. I mean, I know, look, I've been, I've tried this with two new clients, man. Cause I was like, I want to get away from my clients looking at macros. So yep. I was like, I've, I've told this to two people. And it's funny because both of them were like, ah, I, I don't, you know, I'd rather, I'd rather just know what the macros are. Right. Just tell me because I wanted to just, I have this spreadsheet that I give them and, and the spreadsheet has like the meal plan and the macros. And when I make my adjustments to their macros, I adjust their meal plan. So why do I even need to put the macros in the first place? Because I, I know that some people are going to look at my meal plan and they're still going to track. Mm -hmm. Like, yep. and I've had clients that are like, Hey, hey, I, I did the macros and, and like my macros are different than your macros. And so I'm like, what are you using? My fitness pal. Okay. There's like 5,000 entries and there's no quality control. Like right. you could have used a complete different entry than mine. And so like, let's yeah. get away from that. And like the old bodybuilding diets, there were no macros. It was like, you know, two chicken breasts, you know, a cup of rice, dry weight, you know, and, and then it was like, okay. Now it's three quarters of a cup dry weight, you know, and, and that's how they did it. And they were able to get that caloric deficit they wanted, yep. but it wasn't with this whole, you know, attachment to what the macros are. Yeah. And I think, I think where they work out the best, I don't know the best way to phrase this is when you're eating things that you shouldn't and they help put perspective into how much someone's overeating and they're like, Oh, oh my yeah. God. And in those circumstances, I'm like, you know, it's helpful because it can be eye opening to people to be like, Oh my God, like I'm eating, you know, this amount of calories, I mean, this many carbs, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but you know, if you're eating what I would consider a more proper diet, a lot of that stuff kind of goes out the window. Like we we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, man. And like, and, and so many things that we say, I kind of get upset and I get frustrated because like it makes us look like we're not like we don't have precision and like we're not taking like a scientific approach because we don't have macros. Right. right. You know, when when like I can tell you, I love the debate going back and forth between Lane and Mike Mutzel. Like I'm, I'm here with Mike like, yeah, Mike, get him, Mike. I'm not going <laughs> to I'm not going to open that can of worms because I don't not because I'm intimidated by his intellect, but because I'm intimidated by the time it's going to take for me to prove him wrong. Like yep. I don't have that type of time. Yeah. And what, you know, it's something I think about a lot is, you know, there's so many, and I know you get a lot of it so much like naysaying and you know, you call it trolling, whatever to me, it's like a lost battle to try and convince someone that doesn't want to learn something. Uh, oh, yeah. it's like, look, I'm just going to frustrate myself and they're not really even open to learning. So it's like, I try and focus on the people that want to make a positive change or open to learning something. Even if they're the biggest skeptic in the world, if they have a corner of their mind open, I'm happy to, you know, open that dialogue. But I feel like a lot of the people, like the, the their mind is made up. Like there's no, they're not really debating anything. So I'm like, you know, what's the point? Oh yeah. And, and, and the other day, someone, I like, they caught me on the wrong day. You know, like <laughs> that happens. I know. I, yep. 
I know what you I'm mean. I'm always like, I don't engage. And I still didn't quite, <laughs> right? I, and I didn't engage. I didn't engage. But this person followed, he, he was following me and he posted something and my wife came to me and said, did you see this? This is ridiculous, blah, blah, blah. And, and like, first thing that she says to me in the morning when she comes out of the bedroom and I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And, and, and I just unfollowed and the, the person was a physician. And so because he was a physician, that's why I unfollowed because I'm like, I'm not going to enter in this, into this conversation. I've been here way before. I've yeah. been here times four years ago. If there's something I don't know, I want you to teach me. I didn't right. know what to do with that. I was like, wait, what? Because I'm not used to it. You know, so I'm yeah. just not, I'm almost like I got a chip on my shoulder because I'm so used to uh, healthcare professionals telling me I don't know what I'm talking about so it was it was definitely refreshing but again yeah. still don't want to I don't I don't want to get into that and people I'm sure they do the same thing to you hey so-and-so saying this to me give me some ammunition I'm like nothing I'm like no yeah. don't don't even start why would you do that why would you waste your time on that yeah and, and the whole credentialing thing is crazy like <laughs> you know yeah. I, like I'm a dentist that does not give me any credentials to talk on nutrition, but you know, my brother's a physician, one of the smartest people I know, uh, but he's an ophthalmologist. Like I know, like I know what kind of nutrition they get and you know, he's, he is very, very smart, but it's like, uh, look, and, and we know what dietitians are taught. So it's, it's a lot of like, you gotta be careful. Uh, this whole credentialing signaling thing, which is like, just because you got some letters in front of your name may or may not imply anything. <laughs> yeah, it turns into it turns into an appeal to authority every single time. Right, it's just exactly. a big appeal to authority fallacy, and then it's like, oh, there's no conversation here because I don't have letters behind my name. I mean, I got MS behind my name, and I mean, I would say I'm I'm pretty smart when it comes to physiology and biomechanics and yeah. nutrition, but I don't think I mean a lot of what I learned especially nutrition had nothing to do with, with what I learned in school. Like I read the zone book when I was in grad school and I was like, man, this, this, this makes more sense than what I'm learning in school. Yeah. And it was just a book, you know, that, that a typical, anybody could pick up and read. Yep. Yep. And I, I mean, I think a lot of the most educated people, uh, you know, are in many ways self-educated and because like True. it's necessary you're either, if you're not self-educated, you're educated by the system. And so you're thus like, you're going to regurgitate what the system taught you. So the only yeah. way to, to like have an outside opinion is to look outside the system, which means looking outside the, you know, the standard credentials. Right. So right. Uh, it's interesting. So I had a couple, I had another question I want to ask you about sleep. Uh, yeah. Because like I've treated a lot of, a lot of sleep patients. It's basically been one of my main areas of focus is as far as in my professional career. And I don't monitor my own sleep for a few reasons, uh, but that's so how I get the way to ask this. I guess, do you think there is potential for a negative placebo effect? Because I know certain sleep trackers are more accurate than others, but I also know like there's a decent amount of inaccuracy in them. And one of the things I worry about is people do these sleep trackers and they may have a great night's sleep. And the sleep tracker is a little inaccurate saying, oh, you didn't sleep so good. And then they're, they're walking around all day being like, oh, I'm tired. I didn't get a good night's sleep according to my sleep tracker. Any, <laughs> any thoughts on that? 100%. There's not, I mean, I can tell you in my case, it's not potential. It's a fact. Yeah. I, don't, 
I can't look at my aura data until after I've meditated. Ah. If I if I look at it before I meditate, I'm gonna I'm gonna be, you know, just just thinking about it the whole time. Like, what the heck? I did everything right last night. Blah blah blah. I right, yeah, I didn't get enough REM sleep. I didn't get enough deep sleep because I've seen the reverse of this a lot. And the reverse is uh, someone goes in for a sleep study, like a PSG. Uh, very uncomfortable test. You're hooked up to a bunch of wires basically to see if they have you know, obstructive sleep apnea or some other sleep disorder. And they'll come to me and they'll be like, I didn't sleep a minute during that sleep test. And then like, I'll read their test and it's like, look, I'm reading your brain waves. Like you, you slept. <laughs> so, so, I mean, th there's a lot of perception and, I, and this is one of the things I worry about is because some of these sleep trackers, you know, the technology is improving, but it's not perfect. And I wonder if I, I don't know the accuracy of all of them, but I, I, I worry. I see people that are like consistently, uh, you know, using these and like, look, I'm not, it's telling me I'm not sleeping good. Cause I see a lot. I see that a lot of people saying, you know, I'm not getting sleep. I'm not getting sleep. What's going on? What's going on? I'm like, well, if you put your sleep tracker away, how do you feel you slept? How was your energy throughout the day, et cetera? Uh, like what, what are your more subjective symptoms versus the quote unquote objective results from the sleep test? And you know, I would, <laughs> maybe it can work on the positive as well. If it's telling you you're sleeping great, maybe you didn't, maybe it'll give you a little extra energy. I don't know. I, I get a little weary about those because, you know, I think it's, you know, this whole biohacking, you know, you know, kind of like you're, you know, taking charge of your own health. Like I think is like very empowering. I think everyone needs to, to, you know, do that to some degree. Uh, but some of the things that were, I'm like, all right, be careful with some of the data. Oh yeah, dude. Yeah. Like I, I, I think about it all the time. Like, and, and as far as like sleep goes, there's, uh, there's this back and forth. Like I talked to Dr. Berhanna. Uh, have you ever talked to Mark Berhanna? No, I haven't. I have not. He's dude. I'd love to introduce you guys. He's a, a sleep dentist. So, um, he's really, really cool. Um, Is he, a lot of, like, like down sleep medicine. Do you know, well, like, like treating does, a, like apnea? Like that's what I do. <laughs> um, well, I, it may be that dude, if, if that's the case, then you definitely need to talk to him with, uh, with all the stuff you got going on with all the, you know, commercial stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but he, I'm not sure if that's his specialty, but I know that sleep is, is a big specialty for him. So, so it may be, but like he and I, when, when we spoke, I was telling him, look at, you know, the mouth taping, I find that, uh, the tape comes off quite often yeah. and he's like well you should probably get a sleep study and I'd, I'd love to get a sleep study to see about that but at the same time I'm looking at HRV a lot yeah. you know I think HRV is a great indicator for me based on what I know about HRV which is also very new but still um, you know if I have you know like last night I had a 73 HRV I'm like mm -hmm. that's a good number and you know this week my, my HRV has been above 60 and I've had, you know, one night where I had 27 minutes of deep sleep, you know, 27 minutes literally. And then I had one night where I had eight minutes of REM sleep because I, I woke up at 3.30 and I was like, you know, kind of like, okay, I'm just going to stay in bed. And then I was like, no, 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 let's go, man. Let's just get up. Let's go. Right. And like it cut off my REM. So knowing like what are the, when your sleep cycles are. So knowing like if you're freaking out about your REM sleep when you woke up early to go fishing knowing that you probably cut off your REM sleep just because you put an alarm. Um, that's important. And yeah. HRV is, is more important to me right now, possibly because it's a more uh, positive reinforcement for me with uh, the HRV than it is with deep sleep. Right. So 
so yeah, like, and then, and then the other part is like, is, is something going on because of the way I eat and because of, you know, I, I'm not the standard they're using granted a ton of metadata, a ton of it, but on people who are not me. And right. I don't want to like fall trapped to like the yep. complete bio individuality. Like I'm a, I'm a 100% snowflake, but you know, I think that that has something to do with it possibly. Yep. And you know, Danny, something you could do that'd be easy if you didn't want to get a sleep study. I mean, measuring your O2 saturation is a great thing to at least rule out, you know, severe obstructive sleep apnea. Like if your oxygen and their blood's not getting desatted below 90, then that's a good sign. But and but like O2 saturation is super easy to measure, and I think there's things like you could just wear and, and, and track it yourself. On your finger, right? You just yeah. put it on your finger. Yeah, and and there's some that I think you could sleep with that would be decently comfortable. Uh, and I mean that's a simple test. I mean, and the heart rate is another good one because like one thing we see with apnea is like someone has an apneic event, like the heart rate speeds up, so the body releases uh, uh, adrenaline to wake the, to basically micro arousals to open up the airway. Uh, so it's like heart rate is a super important factor during your sleep. Uh, but that that's, that's good to know. I'd like to connect with him because it sounds like oh, he probably dude, has. I'm going to introduce you guys. He's, he just started a 30 day oral microbiome reset that he was, that he was trying to, um, spread the word on. And I haven't looked into it yet, but I'm, I'm like really interested in that because he talks about you know, you know, I mean, you're a dentist, so you know, like the mouth is the gateway to the rest of the body. Like, like if you have, you know, a screwed up oral microbiome, what does that say about your gut? What does that say about everything else? Um, I have no idea what it entails. I just saw he tagged me in it and I shared it on my story yesterday, but I, I'm definitely going to introduce you to, I'd love to hear you guys just geek out with each other. Because <laughs> um, he's he talks a lot about you know, the, the birth defects and the epigenetic changes that are happening with, with the, like, you know, the narrowing of the airway and the, the, the jaw structure, how, the, you know. The airway is so important. It's, it's one of like the most underappreciated things, I think, as far as when it comes to like insidious health problems is, is, is poor sleep. And one of the biggest ones is this narrowing airway that, you know, the amount of people that suffer from varying degrees of obstructive sleep apnea, uh, it, it's like the most undiagnosed common disorder. Uh, and so, and, and, and you, it's life changing when it gets diagnosed and treated. Like yeah, it's, it's life changing. Would you say that, have you, like this is speculation, but based on like things that you read and what you're seeing in your patients, would you say that there is a trend like in increased like structural issues because of like epigenetics, like these people are being born uh, with all of these marks on their DNA from probably even their, not even their parents. It was probably even started by their grandparents where they have yep. that, you know, that underbite or, or not the yep. underbite. Underdeveloped the, jaws. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, orthodontics in some cases have made it worse. Uh, oh, where, yeah. And, it, you know, on the flip side, orthodontics uh, can make it better. Uh, but you have to go to an orthodontist that kind of knows what they're doing and how to how to deal with the airway because uh, they can do things that will help a child grow and develop in a way that will maximize that the, the, you know their airway space. All right, so Danny, there's one more thing I, I wanted to ask or mention about data uh, before I let you go because I know we're coming up on an hour here. Uh, but it's another interesting thing because I know you monitor it closely. I have not monitored it. 
uh, and that is blood sugar. And one thing I've read a decent amount of research around, and I think you, you kind of show it when you've experimented with carbs is when you've been low carb for a long time and then you introduce carbs, you tend to see, uh, you know, hyperglycemia for, for a little bit. Oh yeah. Like for me, it was, it was right around a week, a week and a half or so that it was just like every day that when I'd wake up, not only when I woke up, but postprandial numbers uh, right. were, were kind of screwy. I was like, you know, the first time I did that carb up, I'm, I'm thinking, oh, I'm Mr. Insulin sensitivity. You know, that's me. Yep. And I'm like, holy crap, dude, like my, my blood sugar went to 120. And then like two hours later, it wasn't back at baseline. Like baseline was maybe like, let's say 82 that meal. And I was still like 90. And I'm like, hmm, that's, that's kind of concerning. But that went away like after a week. So you had to get kind of, I call it recarb adapted. Now I, I've read and, you know, kind of a couple of theories why this to explain this, but do you like, do you have explanation or, or, or theories for it? My, my only speculation would be that like your pancreas is just chilling. Like your pancreas is taking yeah, a vacation. Exactly. And so, you know, like there's just no, there's no, like your body's like, I guess, uh, I guess we're going to do this without the insulin guys. So, you know, we don't need it. And, you know, and, and that's why as, as a low carb or, or a carnivore, that's where you start to see all the other things that can affect your blood sugar. And you start to pay attention more like to, stress and sleep yep. and i mean when i wore a continuous blood glucose monitor uh like late last year early this year i couldn't believe man like I, my kids would get into a fight and i have to break it up and you watch and I, it spike oh dude it would spike like to 120 within a second and then i would breathe for like you know a minute or two and i get it back down to like 66 See, that's, that is really neat. And I mean, those monitors are awesome. If they weren't more expensive, I definitely would be wearing one. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so this, I, it's kind of like this, this hyperglycemia is almost the exact opposite of typical, uh, you know, diabetic insulin resistance. It's, uh, yeah, that's why I hate the, the, the whole physiological insulin resistance. I can't stand that term. It's gotta be glucose intolerance. Yeah, because, I mean, if you think about it, it is almost like your pancreas hasn't needed to pump out a ton of insulin because you haven't been eating any carbs. And so when you do bombard it with carbs, it's kind of like it was a taking a vacation. And so you, you get less insulin and you have higher blood sugar, which I think is one of the explanations. Uh, I actually read into, you know, the second, you know, kind of hypothesis is like the muscles – develop a degree I, I there's no other word that, that i really know how to use be, besides insulin resistance in order to spare glucose for you know the cells that you know central nervous system red blood cells that actually require Ooh, glucose okay. that, yeah. so you actually develop can develop a degree of uh insulin resistance but it's actually the exact opposite of the kind of insulin resistance that like a diabetic uh would have it's like your cells are, are saving it for the cells that need it. It's not like they have been overly bombarded with glucose. Yeah, but the only, the only pushback I would have on that one is if you're exercising, you're, you're improving your insulin sensitivity in your muscles. So, Absolutely. Right? But, so, and so there's actually mechanisms uh, where muscle can uptake glucose uh, in the absence of insulin. Uh, oh, 
okay, okay, that that, so, that continues to still be relevant then. So, so I think it is relevant, but I, you know, I've dug into this research a little bit. Nothing is like cut and dry, but those are the two mechanisms that kind of explain these. Uh, you know, when we see people that have gone on long-term low-carb diets and reintroduce carbs, like they have to get recarb adapted because uh, <laughs> in, in a very yeah. real way. Uh, but crazy. I think that's <laughs> kind, of, <laughs> kind of that. That's what I wanted to ask you because I was like, because you've monitored it and you said, that, you know, it might take a week to, for things to get re stabilized, I guess. Yeah. At least for me, at least for me, I mean, I, I, I can't speak about other people. Um, but there, yeah, there's not a ton of data on this. There's not, <laughs> so I, it's just an area I, you know, I wish I would have, uh, monitored mine a little bit more closely with these carb experiments I did just to kind of know, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. but, uh, I guess that's interesting. One of the things like, I, I guess I would tell people is like, look, you can probably expect some postprandial hyperglycemia if you reintroduce carbs after a long-term low carb diet, because like, that's what we tend to see. And so probably the best thing to do is, you know, if you're going to eat carbs, introduce them very slowly and probably after working out when you're going to be most receptive to them. Yeah. And then going back to the other thing uh, that, that I mentioned earlier, that, that you got to keep that fat low. Like you, you, and, and knowing going into that, that yep. that's going to take more discipline. You know, I, I meant to comment on that when you mentioned it earlier. You were saying so many good things at once because uh, that is also something a strategy I used in the past uh, that I think, at least for a body composition perspective, uh, that I found to be very effective. And that is like don't combine carbs and fat or avoid it as much as you can. Uh, and so, I, I, you know, when I would in, back in the bodybuilding days kind of, uh, on my higher carb refeed days, I would drop fat quite low. Uh, and then on, you know, nine carb days, I'd bring fat back up. But so would you just keep it isocaloric? Cause that's, that's what I do. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Yeah. Generally. Uh, and, and there's a million different ways you can manipulate things like that, but I think that might be helpful for some people that are listening. Like as a general, like easy strategy, if you're eating carbs, you know, don't combine them with fats and that automatically eliminates a lot of junk food. <laughs> yeah. And, so. and you know, don't be afraid to use other things. Like, uh, my, my one client that she just did a, a competition, she did great. She's doing this knock thing and I'm going to go see her, uh, next month. And, you know, we've used after a certain point in her prep, it was like carb up every single week. And like what we were doing most of the time was either one or two fat cycling days where we would yeah. cycle the fat down. Yeah. But then every three to four weeks, based on her feedback, I would do the opposite. Instead of a fat cycling day, I would give her like a fat refeed. And I, I mean, it did wonders for everything. It did wonders for her mentality where she yeah. was like, man, I miss brisket. Well, have yourself some brisket. Go have some pork belly. You're literally going to have like 30% more calories, and they're all coming from fat. And um, yep. who knows all the other benefits that she got, you know, hormonally. So, like, being able to use all of those tools, and of course, having a client who's basically responds to everything. This girl, she's just she's amazing. Yeah. But like being able to use all those tools, uh, you know, I think it's uh, it's it's like undoing that hand that you had tied behind your back. You know. Yep. 
And so, Danny, I know you got a ton of things going on. You got clients, you got keto muscle intelligence. What else? What other, what other kind of programs for people so, that don't know? Uh, so keto muscle intelligence, I'm, I'm designing, uh, redesigning the carnivore keto cut and, and just building it into a more robust program with a bunch of more freebies. I'm going to change the pricing on it. And of course, the, my big thing that Maura says, that she doesn't let me talk about it, but I'm going to talk about it. Like, <laughs> you're always telling everybody everything. Tell I'm us. like, man, but I'm just so excited. Like I, I, these organ meat burgers have been, you know, so awesome for my family and I've had Ben and his family over and I, I cook them for his kids and his kids love them. Yeah. And, you know, everybody who tries them loves them. And so I, I've been working with uh, a company to turn that into a product. So uh, Primitive Burger, uh, hopefully within the next six months, we'll see Primitive Burger out there. And I, I had this idea in my mind from the very beginning, man. And, and, I, and I, I looked at the USDA database and I was like, I want to take my burger and I want to put it side by side with a regular four ounce burger. And I, and I did that like, you know, as a thought exercise in Excel. And I was like, man, holy crap, vitamin A, B12, yeah. everything is like multiple times more. Like some of the stuff is like twice as much. Some of the stuff is four times as much. So I, I think like for anybody, you know, wanting to really get more nutrient density, especially considering like, how bad our soil has gotten yeah. and you know, how low the minerals have gotten, how low the micronutrients have even gotten like all of these things, especially minerals. I mean, more, more important than anything, minerals, like they're so important. You know, you start to think about zinc and copper and, and magnesium and even manganese and all of these things that some of them may be, you know, opposites of each other, but they're all lower in the soil. Well, you're going to have to really focus on nutrient density just to get to like, a good baseline yeah so so yeah that's that's the most exciting thing man other I mean, than that i cannot tell you how happy that makes me to hear that because i did not know about this project you had going on uh <laughs> so this is awesome uh look like literally yesterday i saw on twitter the impossible burger was trending because they were doing a comparison between you know the real whopper or whatever and then this fake meat and I'm like, look, we're making this is not a good comparison. We need to compare Danny's yes. <laughs> burger to another real burger. Uh, probably both good options, but man, that's awesome, dude. I'm I'm terrified to be honest. You know, I really am terrified because it's such a good idea, and there's really really no way to pr to protect it. So yeah. I'm just like, you know, having biweekly meetings with my contact and. Uh, they're in a different state. So like, you know, sending samples back and forth formulations. The other thing too, is like, I didn't, I didn't, I want to look into, um, like, you know, kidney has that, um, that, that amino acid or that, uh, DSO or something, uh, uh, some, some, uh, I think it's an amino acid. It's an amine. Yeah. So it's probably an amino acid that, yeah. that can help battle, um, issues with uh when someone has um uh, histamine issues yeah and you know being that you know so many people reheat their stuff you know it would be kind of cool i just don't know if the amount of kidney because kidney is the smallest portion of all of it because mm -hmm. kidney i'm just not a big fan of it <laughs> uh, <laughs> but i'm just not but, but yeah. you know the cool thing is is if i can if i can say that i have somewhere near a clinically relevant dose of that in my burger that will be just another just another thing especially 
you know, you, you, you have a histamine issue, you want yep. to eat your burger with some sauerkraut or some something else that could cause histamine issues, it would be kind of cool to say, well, you got the kidney in there, so that's going to battle that. Yeah. I'm not sure if that's going to pan out. Yeah. And, and, you know, Danny, from a commercial standpoint, like the people that are going to buy the, your kind of burger are going to be the kind of people that want to trust the brand. And so to me, it all comes down to branding. And like if, if a Tyson came out with a burger like that <laughs> to compete with you, I would be like, look, I'm going to buy from Danny. I know him, but I, you know, cause we care about food quality. Uh, and yeah, those are the kind of people are going to buy that. The same. And yeah, just like, you, know, you know, and your brand is. speaks for itself. So I think, I think you're going to be just fine there. I hope so, man. I I've, I've wanted to do, I've wanted to create a product that's not just like, obviously I have ideas for like, you know, coaching programs and, you know, other, other ways of, of, scaling to to reach a much bigger audience and make a much bigger impact but nothing is as cool to me as having a, a, a tangible food product i mean we always talk about how important food is and how food is medicine like yep. I, I i see myself as the that psycho guy like i used to know this guy in tampa that he he, he had a pizza place and it was like this protein pizza and he he was a, a bodybuilder and he only ate his pizza like that, that's all he ate. I'm like, that's totally me. I could totally see myself, you know, being on the or on, on the primitive burger diet. You're going to live only on primitive burgers. <laughs> Free food, you know, and, <laughs> and nutrient density left and right, making a bunch of, you know, cool recipes with it. We'll see, man. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it. Man, that's awesome. I did not know that. So I am super excited for you and I'm excited to get my burger. I talked with Strong Sisters uh, last week. And, you know, they were oh, telling me about that. how they're, yeah, they are amazing. Uh, yeah, the, the, the cookbook, I can't wait to see the cookbook because they're so, they're the so cookbook, creative. They are. And that, I mean, I told them those, they're social media queens, uh, but they're getting their farm together. I already got dibs on their first cow. And so I'm getting dibs on your Oregon burger, the primitive burger. <laughs> I'm going to be, I'm going to be sitting pretty here soon. <laughs> Dude, that's so awesome. Like I, I, uh, I shared with them, like, I don't know. Did you guys talk about like regenerative farming or anything like that? You know, we didn't talk. We, we did. We touched on it, but I was, I, you know, we, we were well into an hour and I was like, look, we need to have a special topic just on this uh, because that is something I want to dive into a lot more, especially I'm planning on diving into a lot more next year because I've done all the research this year. Now I just got to start writing. Uh, but yeah, that's a, that's a topic that, you know, they're passionate about. I think most people that, consciously eating healthy like they care about the they care about you know the world the planet they live in and they want to do what's best for it uh and you know you know sustainable farming is probably you know one of those things oh well dude think about it this way like we cannot as carnivores be criticizing vegans you know for all the flying they do like they, they fly in you know produce from south america and and all these other countries and then we're getting our meat from New Zealand. We can't do that. Like right. that's yeah. very hypocritical to me. So you got to go as close to local as possible. You know, within the United States, I think is is totally fine. But when you start saying like I'm going to fly in my meat, why? I yeah. Mean, we need to fix our soil. We need to give farmers more incentive to to put more cows on pasture and to use you know ruminants more so that we can fix our soil and hopefully. I mean, there's a way. It's just a question of like. Is the action going to be taken? Is the market going to going to give those those signals to the producers so that so that we can make real change? And uh, I hope yep. I hope that's the case, man. Yeah, it's there's just, got the incentives got to be aligned 
And, you know, right now they're not, which is why we're seeing, you know, you know, downward spirals, both, you know, both in like consumer health products, like the food we're eating as well as the production of that food. Oh yeah. Yep. So Danny, man, thank you so much for all the time. Oh man, it's my pleasure, dude. As soon as we get off, we gotta we gotta schedule you in. Unless we did, I, I'm so ADD that I don't even know if we scheduled. No, we we're going back and forth. I think uh, next week I got some times. So, all right, cool. Yeah, yeah, we'll 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 schedule that as soon as we get off, man. Awesome. We'll appreciate it. Look forward to chatting again real soon. Thanks, brother. All right, see you, Danny. See ya. Keep the radio going. Dr. Kevin Stock has more coming your way. For exclusive content, visit www.kevinstock.io.